presence today and echo what Mark said. If you're a guest with us, uh, we appreciate you being here. We hope you'll stick around today after worship. We're going to be in Luke chapter 23. I want to invite you to find a Bible there in front of you if you don't have one or on your phone or however you read your Bible. Uh, Luke chapter 23 is going to be where we're going to spend our time this morning, and I want to invite you to find uh, that chapter. This summer, as you're finding that, I'll just kind of catch us up. We are in a, a series we're calling Major Minor, where we're looking at minor characters in the story of God and how their lives point to our major God. And, and it's been a, an interesting journey as we've, there's really not a lot of material to work with on some of these characters, some of these people we've looked at over the last several weeks, and, uh, it's, but it's been a great joy to discover some people. We know people like Moses and Paul and Peter. We know these names because they're often the kind of the people that we look at and things that they wrote. We look at things that they wrote. And uh, so it's been fun this summer to look at some of these lesser known people in scripture. And if you've missed any of these sermons, you can find them on our podcast or our website to see who all we've, we've covered uh, this summer. Now, it may be, I'll say this about this series, and it may be too, a little too, Nathan already talked about school, I guess, during communion, so he already went there, but it may be too early for some of you to think about school yet, but this series is going to take us up to Back to School Sunday, and I don't know that we've mentioned this before now, but we want you to be sure and mark your calendars for Sunday, August the 25th. Uh, that's Back to School Sunday this year, which is always a, a meaningful day as we gather specifically to, to worship God, but also to pray for uh, our students and teachers and all of those who are impacted by each the beginning of each school year. So be aware of that, and this series will take us up to that day. So this morning we're going to look at a minor character in the story of God that shows up at a really major moment, a significant moment. And the moment where this person shows up is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And the character that we're going to look at today together is one of the criminals that hung on the cross next to Jesus that day. Understandably, as Christians, when we look at the crucifixion story, we, we tend to focus all of our attention on Jesus and the event of the crucifixion and the significance and meaning that it has for our lives. But today, this morning, we're going to look at this story and we're going to think together about Jesus, but also about this criminal and what he represents as he hung there on the cross. He's a minor character in a really major moment, but his story still has something, I think, important to teach us. He's a man that, whose name we never learn, but whose story has a lot to offer us this morning. And so before we look at Luke chapter 23, I want to invite you, if you would, to, to bow with me for prayer. <clears throat> Father, we come this morning, as we sang a, a little bit a while ago, uh, beholding our God seated on his throne, adoring Christ together today as we gather in this place. And we pray that our praise has been a sweet aroma to you, Father. As we gather now around your word, we pray that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that it is you want us to see and hear. We pray that you'll give us insight and perspective on this man's story and how his story is our story and how all of us are dependent upon Jesus Christ today. We're grateful for these people whose names in many cases we never learn, but whose stories tell us something important. And we pray this morning that you'll teach us as we gather around the cross and we behold our God hanging on the cross and these, these criminals there hanging with him. And we ask God that you'll be with us as we study that anything that I say that 
uh, needs to stick upon our hearts this morning will stick and all else will fall away. We, th- we love you and we're grateful to Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. And the church said, amen. So there's an old story about a, a, a cattle rancher that I want to tell you in just a minute. Actually, I'm going to read this passage first. Let me do that. I got ahead of myself. I want to begin in Luke chapter 23, uh, beginning in verse 32. We're going to kind of pick up in the middle of the crucifixion story, so, uh, but I think you'll get the sense about why that is. And uh, beginning in verse 32, we'll read through verse 43. Let's, let's do that together. Two other men, both criminals, Luke writes, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there. Along with the, other, with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up Jesus' clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there with Jesus hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So there's a story about an old cattle rancher who was told that one of his younger helpers, his young cowhands, had uh, been caught in the act of stealing one of his cows. And when this young cowhand, who is now a thief, was dragged before the rancher, he looked down at the frightened young man and he said, Hang him. Nothing personal, son, but you know, I like you a lot, of course you understand, but we have rules here in this area, and besides, it'll teach you a lesson. One day, that same old rancher died and appeared before the judgment seat of God, and as he stood there, he remembered all the mean, horrible things that he had done over the course of his life, and he stood there trembling in his boots when God looked down upon him in mercy and tenderness and said, forgive him, it'll teach him a lesson. Luke, in his writing of this story, refers to this man this morning as a criminal. Some of your translations might even say thief. And while we don't know a whole lot about this man that hung on his own cross there next to Jesus, we know that he was considered a criminal by Rome and he had done something significant enough to be sentenced to death on a cross. In that time, sometimes people got put on crosses because they were actual criminals. They were actual thieves. And sometimes they were put on crosses because they had tried to overthrow Rome. Right? Rome, Rome is occupying Israel. The Jews don't like that. So from time to time, someone would, would get the idea, you know, if I just got a few of my friends together, maybe we could overthrow some of these local Roman rulers who were kind of overseeing this area, this territory of Israel that we live in. It would be like another country occupying America, and all of us are under that 
that occupation, but here in Kaufman, we decide, you know what, we can't do everything about the whole country, but we can do something about our own town and getting people together and beginning to, to create sort of a revolt. And so you might have been on a cross because you actually were a criminal, you actually were a thief, but you also were very likely to have been put on a cross because you organized some sort of effort to overthrow Rome or to try to overthrow Rome. People thought that the Messiah would be a man who would overthrow Rome, which is why, as you think about what you know about Jesus and his conversations with the disciples in the Gospels, you hear Jesus and and the disciples asking questions that kind of allude or suggest this idea from time to time. But the, the issue was that the penalty for failing to overthrow Rome was crucifixion. So if you got crucified, the thinking was that you were not the Messiah. In his book, Who Is This Man?, John Ortberg writes that there were at least 18 Messiah candidates that we know of from Jesus' day, and they all met the same fate. These people and their followers would often do things like go and loot Roman arsenals or palaces in Israel. They thought of themselves as a sort of Robin Hood, right? Rome is occupying Israel. Israel is our nation. This is our stuff, and the Romans don't have any right to it. We ought, to hate, we ought to have it, and we ought to do something about it. So Rome regarded these rebels as thieves. We don't know exactly whether this man committed a serious crime or he had been planning some sort of a revolt, but what we do know is that he is not hanging on a cross because he was shoplifting. He's hanging on a cross because, like Jesus, Rome wanted to send a message, and that message was this. This is what happens to people that try to mess with Rome. So this nameless man, whose background we aren't familiar with, his story we don't know, hangs on his own cross next to Jesus. And what Luke tells us is that this man gets a front row seat to, what, to seeing what God is like. This man, hearing the insults, hearing the comments that are being directed at Jesus, also hears Jesus in response pray, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Swiss theologian Hans Balthasar has said this, said it this way, and I love this quote. He says, Being disguised under the disfigurement of an ugly crucifixion and death, Christ upon the cross is the clearest revelation of who God is. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. But more specifically, look at Jesus on the cross. Because while we see it all over the Bible, the clearest picture of what God is like is seen on the cross. And in my mind, that includes what Jesus did in his actions by hanging on the cross for us. But it also includes what Jesus said on the cross. And one of the phrases that he uttered was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And a lot of times we think that that applies to the crowd, and I think that is an accurate observation. But I think it also, we must remember, applies to the thief that's hanging there with him on the cross. If there was any doubt just how good God is prior to this moment, that doubt has been eliminated. Any person hanging innocently on a cross, would have been tempted to curse those soldiers, to curse those in the crowd. And yet, 
This is not what Jesus did. People sneered, and Jesus forgives. People mock, and Jesus loves them. The beauty of the cross overcomes the ugliness of the world. And this man, hanging there next to Jesus, he sees it. He has eyes to see what the people there around him do not see. Which is why even in his own pain, he can say to this other criminal, don't you fear God? Like, since we're all under the same sentence, you should at least have some fear of God and maybe what's going to happen next after we die. We're getting punished justly and getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. This man on the cross hanging next to Jesus, he has two lines in the story. The first line is his confession. We're getting what we deserve. We're punished justly. But this man has done nothing wrong. And his second line is a prayer. Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? The beauty of Christ is seen when he sits at the table with sinners and outcasts, pardons those whom others would stone, welcomes the one who has been cast aside, and as he loves his neighbor as himself, even in his death. See, according to the the Roman Empire, the man, this criminal, he was deserving of death. His final status with the Roman Empire, like if there was some you know, legal writing somewhere that recorded who had been crucified and what their crime was and, you know, what date they were crucified on and this man's name that we don't know, but maybe some, somewhere in history they knew and they recorded it. And someone went back into the, the Roman archives and began to look and look for this man and find his name in the logbook. They would determine the date and the time and, and the event that led to his crucifixion. According to the Roman Empire, his final status for history, was that he was guilty. He was guilty. But according to the kingdom of God, what this man, what was the kingdom of God announced that this man was deserving of life. His, His final status according to the kingdom of God was that he had been pardoned. He had been forgiven. He had been shown mercy. See, what Jesus did for his life actually is the thing that gets the last word over his life. Rome thought that they were getting the last word over his final status for all eternity. And in steps Jesus. And Jesus announces that he gets the last word over his life, and that word is mercy. Mercy is, is, a, is compassion, is, is forgiveness that is shown towards someone when it is within their power to punish them or to harm them. And mercy is on full display at the cross. Jesus extends mercy in his welcome of this undeserving, this convicted criminal into his kingdom. A man that didn't do all the right things. A man that did not say all the right things, undoubtedly. A man that apparently didn't live the right kind of life enters into paradise with Jesus upon his death. See, upon, if, we just, if we just base it upon our standards, church, this man did not deserve mercy but mercy was received. He didn't deserve mercy, but mercy was what he received. There's a story that goes something like this. A woman appeared before Napoleon to plead her son's life because he was about to be executed. Napoleon responded that the punishment fit the crime. It was justice that this son of yours 
is getting. And the woman responded, Sir, I'm not here to talk about justice. I'm here to plead for mercy. And Napoleon responded, Well, he didn't deserve mercy. And she responded, It wouldn't be mercy if he deserved it. Therefore, mercy is what I ask. And as the story goes, it's said that Napoleon was so taken back by her response that he granted her son a pardon. See, the way we tend to think about mercy is that we, we tend to be okay with mercy for people when we feel like that they've earned it. When we feel like that they deserve mercy. But the truth is that deserving has nothing to do with mercy. Psalm 103, in in Psalm 103, the psalmist says it this way. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. That is what makes mercy, mercy. We, We extend it not because of the character of other people. We extend it because of the character of our king and how our king has treated us. This is what the criminal experiences that day on the cross But I wonder this morning about us. What about us? What does mercy look like in our lives? In the beginning of his ministry, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. See, I I know for me, and I assume that you're not all that different, I like mercy when it applies to me. When I'm receiving your mercy, God's mercy. That's a wonderful thing. The challenge, that's not the challenge. The challenge isn't receiving mercy. The challenge is in giving mercy. And Jesus knows this. So he reminds us that those who are merciful will receive mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. See, side by side on that day, we are offered a picture of, of the two ways that we can be in this world. A cross communicates how Rome handled their problems. Crucify them. Nowadays, we use that phrase if someone really, they get, you know, they get belittled, put down, roasted, as the kids say, right? Like if there's, there's something that happens where, where, where there was an exchange And they go, man, that person, they really crucified them, right? Where words, harsh words are exchanged in some way. If someone's wrong, you lash back. If someone's done you harm, you do harm to them. Do to them what they've done to you. Or at least push them aside. Ignore them, shame them, avoid them. Don't invite them to the family gathering. Nurse your grudge. And along the way, make sure they know how disappointed you are with them and their behavior, their choices, their attitude their life. See, what I think we might want to call these things to help us gain a new perspective is modern-day crucifixions. And into this world and into our lives, Jesus steps and he offers us a second way because crucify them is always going to be a way that's available to us. And Jesus steps in and offers a second way. His words to this criminal tell us everything we need to know about how about God's approach to us and to the larger world. When punishment was deserved, God extended mercy. Mercy welcomes, mercy forgives, 
an unnamed criminal into the kingdom of God. And mercy welcomes you and me. Mercy is an action. That's the thing we have to, I want us to take away for today is that mercy is an action as much as or more really than it is an attitude. We have to do mercy. We have to give and practice mercy. And we take our cues from Jesus. And I wonder if we take, as we take our cues from Jesus, can we embrace this posture of mercy in our lives? And you might say, well, but Doug, you don't know what they did. The life they're living, the things they said, the way that they hurt me. And I probably don't. But I know that mercy understands that there is never anyone that is good enough. No one that has done enough. And that that is the point. And that like the criminal that hung on his own cross next to Jesus, at the end of our lives, we are all dependent upon the goodness and the mercy of God. Which is why this moment is so, so important. Because before we arrive, see, we have the advantage before we arrive at the end of our lives. We can know with confidence what Jesus is like. The clearest picture of what God is like like is on display in this scene, in this moment in history. And before we arrive at the end of our lives, we can already know what God is like. We can know just how good God really is. His words to the crowd and His words to the criminal are also His words for us. Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Mercy. Treated not as our sins deserve, but treated better. God is bigger and better than we ever thought that God was. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we are humbled, overwhelmed, really, by your mercy. We're thankful, Father, that you don't treat us as our sins deserve, that you pursue us and you love us, and that the last word on our life is forgiven, is pardoned. And we know, God, this morning that that's, that's, it's, it's overwhelming, but it's easier, honestly, to receive that than it is to give it away. And I ask, God, this morning that you will empower us through the work of your Holy Spirit to be in the world as you have been to us. That we'll see people, we'll see situations as opportunities to extend mercy as we have received it. We're thankful for this man's story And that even up to the last moments of his life, that he was willing to keep his eyes open to see what others around him couldn't see. That his heart was open enough to receive what others were unwilling to receive as Jesus hung there on that cross. We're thankful for his story, for his testimony, for his life, and for these 
few brief words that we have recorded for history that we know about him. What a legacy, really, that it is. It is only words that we know. We're a confession and a prayer. And we pray, God, that it will be <clears throat> for us as it has been for him. That the last word over our lives will also be that we're pardoned, that we're forgiven, that we've been shown mercy. We, we love you and we're grateful to you. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ and the church said, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. So today is an exciting day. Um, we, uh, we have some family in town that is here uh, to, to witness along with our church family.